0: Ephesians 4, 1-16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effect to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as they were called, one hope when they were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ, appropriate. This is why he said, when he ascended on high he took his captives and gave gifts to his people what does he descended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions he who descended is very one who descended high and all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe so Christ gave himself himself, all the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people to work of service, for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become matured. A t- attending to the whole measures of the fulfillment of Christ, there will be no longer be infants tossed forth and back by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the nature's body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every support grows grows and builds itself up in love as every part as every part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning, and we believe there's power in your word. And so we pray that you'd pour out your spirit on Tim. We thank you for the word that he's put in to this service, into this sermon. We pray that you'd pour your spirit upon him, bring power to your word. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would come and meet with us, and that your word would do whatever you wish it to do. In Jesus'
1: name, amen. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Bob, for reading. Well, I wonder, what sort of person are you? When you get something new, do you sit down and read the instruction manual, or do you press ahead, try and figure things out, and learn on the go? Perhaps not thinking about those finer details until you've managed to work things out, and then you wonder, well, why is that not working as it should? When I got my new car quite a few years ago now, I got in the car at the dealer's, and I drove it home. Well, the first thing I had to do was go and fill it up with fuel. And then I drove it home. I explored the different options as I drove. In the evening, Amanda and I had to take a friend to the A&E department. And as we walked in, I decided, well, I've got nothing with me. I'm going to take my instruction manual to my car in. And I read it through as we waited at a and in the days when there was always long queues because people were going. It was then, when I read the instruction manual, that I realized what I'd done wrong driving the car home from the dealers. And given that we were in the middle of nowhere, it was about an hour's drive. Things, of course, will and do go wrong. And the things that we have won't necessarily work. Technology is fantastic when it works. I have a real love-hate relationship with it. I love it when it works. I hate it when it doesn't work. Particularly over this last year, believe me, there's been times I've wanted to pick up my computer and throw it out the window. Of course, I didn't, because it would have been an expensive mess. But there are times when things go wrong with technology, with, other th- with uh, utilities, with anything that we've got, when we have to go back to the instructions and see what it's meant to be. The problem can sometimes be that we can't always find the instructions. But these days, fortunately, a quick search of Google... With the model number, we'll bring up a PDF of your instructions if you need them. And sometimes it's worthwhile, perhaps if we have had something for a while, going back to the instructions to check that it's still working at maximum efficiency. For me and my coffee machine, that is very important, that it's always working at maximum efficiency. So why all this about instructions and, and looking back? Well, today, we move on to the second half of the letter to the churches in Ephesus. Now, this second section is quite long, and obviously we'll be spending the next few weeks exploring what Paul is saying. But essentially, what we have today is Paul reminding us of the fundamental instruction on living the Christian life. We're reminded how it began and what it was all about. And essentially, it comes down to three things. Meaning of the call to follow the king, the grace which has equipped us to do just that, and the unity that we have, and what must be done to guard that unity. Chapter 4 opens with Paul urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Now, the use of the word calling here isn't about what we do, which the church seems we've sort of taken it on as the church. Well, it's a vicar, teacher, pharmacist, homemaker, volunteer. It doesn't mean that in this context. It's actually something much, much simpler. It's the basic calling of the gospel itself. Summoning people to believe in Jesus as the risen Lord and King and to give him complete and undivided allegiance For the rest of our lives. That's the calling that Paul is talking about. As we open in chapter 4. The calling language is used again in verse 4. When Paul says just as you were called to one hope. When you were called. He brings in the hope of being a Christian. That Jesus Christ has conquered death itself. And those who give him their all. Are assured of the same victory. That's the calling that we live up to. That we give Jesus Christ our all. And that's the calling that we live up to in our whole lives. Not just on a Sunday in church. But in every moment. In every decision. In every word and every action. We need to be aware and remind ourselves. Of the primary call to believe in Jesus Christ. When we're doing that. We then move on to the main focus of this chapter, the unity in the body of Christ. If we are all following the call to be like Christ, to give our all to Christ, unity comes. Now, unity is, of course, an interesting thing to discuss in the context of the church. The church, after all, is the one place where we're all supposed to be united. It's a glimpse of what heaven will look like when Christians come together and worship the living God. We are the body of Christ. But yet within the church, it's probably one of the few places where things often don't work that way. Because everybody thinks they've got their own preferred style of doing it. Everybody says, well, I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. We all like to do our own thing. All of that leads to disunity. All of that leads to disunity because it's putting ourselves in place of the primary call to follow Jesus. Paul says there is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I wonder how often in the church we forget that very line, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Just this week on Thursday morning, I was at a prayer meeting with other church leaders in Luther, and we were reflecting back on the Pentecost praise service that, of course, was on Facebook and YouTube this year. And the overriding theme in that, in that prayer meeting was the sense of unity across the traditions. Churches from across the traditions and the denominations came together to put a service on to celebrate the birthday of the church. And there was a real sense that this, this was a call to unity for the church, After all, we've put up our own barriers by giving ourselves labels. The primary call is not whether we're Anglican, Baptist, Pentecostal. The primary call is, are we a Christian? And as we explored in the earlier chapters, that links in to being a child of God. Those reflections on Thursday morning were that we can work together. And that when we do work together, that is what will build the kingdom. I then had another meeting on Thursday and I was talking to the church growth officer for our archdeaconry. And we we had no idea that I'd spoken about unity. We talked about unity in the morning or that I was preaching on unity today. And we we just got on talking about life in the church. And again, we got back to the idea of unity in the church in the way of fellowship. And he said, often, I was unable to get the diagrams, unfortunately, but you see a church with the heart and two lungs And there is worship, there is fellowship, and there is mission which makes up the church. Now often we will put worship as the heart which feeds the lungs and pumps the blood, the mission and the fellowship. And that is good, that is right. But what if we look at it a different way? What if we put fellowship at the heart of the church? Fellowship between each of us and fellowship between us and Jesus. Because when we have fellowship, when we have unity... That then pumps the blood so that we're able to come together and worship the Lord. So that we're able to come together and go out there and do the mission. Do the mission of God that he is calling us to do. And it's all underpinned with the fellowship of the church. And I think that is a really important thing to grasp at the moment As we emerge from this pandemic, as we start to come back together as a church, even in church at the moment, we have to stay distant. But the time will come when we can come back together and not be separated by those two meters. It's a time when we can rebuild fellowship amongst ourselves so that we can then pump, the, the blood will then pump so that we can go and worship and we can go and do mission. And That's how the church grows with Jesus Christ at the center of it all, the primary call of Jesus on our life that brings us together in fellowship to worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to go and do the mission and further the kingdom. Unity, of course, is not a new theme in Ephesians. We've already explored it in chapter 2 where Paul talks about the coming together of Jew and Gentile. And in chapter 3, how Paul fits in with just that. But of course we also need to be reminded that the unity needs guarding. Because all all sorts of things come to attack us over time. And reading this section in the 21st century perhaps is different to how the churches in Ephesus would have read it in the 1st century. We now have so many different strands of church. And particularly following the Reformation, so many different forms of Christianity. A quick Google search says there are over 45,000 different denominations of Christians in the world. Where's the one church? Where's the one body? One Lord? One faith? One baptism? Boundaries are really blurred. But no matter which view we take, no matter how we express ourselves in worship, we need to be working together to bring unity across the church in the here and the now. Because when we're united in the church, when that heartbeat of fellowship is pumping, we can then do the mission and worship. Of course, as I say, Paul does say we need to defend this. We need to guard it. We need to maintain and develop the unity that we have. And to do just that is following Paul's teachings to us in Ephesians and elsewhere. And I think that's not just applied to the wider church and the different denominations and traditions, but that applies to within this church too. After all, we all have different views. But we need to persevere and we need to develop a sense of unity because church simply does not work where there are different factions, different cliques, different power groups. It just does not function. That is a surefire way to bring disunity to the church, to split a church and separate it. And that's not what we want. But of course, where those things happen, the enemy sneaks in and he goes, actually, you need to do this and separate out. And then it all becomes attractive because we then do church our way. But that's not the way that we're told in scripture to be the church. Because we're living in the victory. We have the Holy Spirit who unites us. And the bond of the Holy Spirit as a family is stronger than the bond of blood between our our relatives and our blood family. The Holy Spirit unites us so much more. So are we willing to unite as a church? To get that heartbeat of fellowship going once again? To enable us to worship the Lord God in spirit and in truth. And to enable us to go out and do the mission that we are called to do. So how does all that work? Well, Paul talks about Jesus giving a variety of different gifts to different members of the body. And this again illustrates the point as to why it's so important to be united in fellowship. Because if we're not united with one another, we might be missing out on somebody's gift that the Lord has given them. We might be thinking, well, we really need a person that can do this. Well, they might be sat right in our church, but just be afraid to step forward and say, well, I've got that gift. If there's not unity in the church, people will not step forward. If we decide to put ourselves forward for everything, when we're not gifted in that area, that is exactly the same issue arises. Because it leads to disunity. It leads to people who have the gifts, feeling that they're not able to stand up and offer themselves. And this is where the next part of the reading from today comes in, about spiritual maturity, Because we all need to develop in our spiritual lives to become more mature. That's what Paul tells us. And as we become more mature, we then realize, well, is it the right time to step back from this ministry so that somebody else can be raised up? Or could I start a different ministry and leave that one behind? We need to be aware of those times when the Lord says, actually, this has come to an end and it's time to start something new. Are we mature enough to be able to say, well, actually, I'm going to step back from that now. I'm going to let somebody else be raised up. Or I'm going to step back from that because actually I think the Lord's calling me to do this instead. As I've said before, no one in a church is indispensable. If we were to all disappear after today and never set foot in this church again, this church would carry on. The church of Jesus Christ would carry on. It's when we understand that when we can then look back to what Paul says about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. They're one of the gift lists that Paul talks about. But even before he mentions that, he talks about the grace of God. The grace that is given to us. And we get the quote from Psalm 68:18 which Tom Wright explains as it's it's a biblical setting for what is to come, for what Paul is about to write about. Because Paul writes about Jesus going up and coming down. And then we get perhaps one of the most puzzling verses in the entire letter, Ephesians 4 verse 9. He who ascends and goes up and comes down. But that's likely referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because as Jesus ascends, Jesus needed to ascend for the Holy Spirit to descend. Jesus needed to ascend on ascension day for pentecost to happen and the pouring out of the holy spirit that the pouring out of the holy spirit how the church then becomes alive it's how the church comes into the fullness of Christ because the, the presence of Christ lives in each of us by the power of the holy spirit and it's the holy spirit that forms us and unites us as the body of Christ it is of course a deep mystery And in some ways, it links back to that wonderful prayer at the end of chapter 3. But perhaps we need a significant growth in knowledge, love, and power that was spoken of by Paul in chapter 3. But the practical point here is that we are all, of course, different. We all have different gifts, we all worship in different ways, we all express ourselves differently. But through all of that, there is a wonderful unity. Because as we come together, we form the body of Christ here on earth. And no matter how different we are, we still gather on a Sunday to worship the same Jesus. He's a savior for me and he's a savior for you. We still gather and we experience the Holy Spirit in very different ways. But the Holy Spirit is with us. The Spirit lives in each of us. And that's how we maintain that unity with one another. And that's how we live up to the calling to be gospel-centered. So in many ways, this passage is like a mini-instruction manual on how to live and how to get the maximum efficiency as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But of course, we do need to look at our spiritual maturity As Paul mentions about the babies and the ships, a baby can't help but be a baby. It takes time to grow up. And the same is true in our Christian lives. We can't jump from not knowing Jesus to receiving Jesus suddenly being a mature Christian. It just doesn't work that way. Of course, we all go at different speeds. As in life, we all mature at different different speeds. And we do the same as Christians. And we'll grow in some areas quicker than others. And that's fine. Maturity in Christ can be swift, but it can take a long time. But Paul shows us how it happens through what God has given the church to make it happen. Because as we know, without maturity in our own lives, we can be vulnerable to all sorts of different things. There's probably a reason why early on in life we were told as children, don't accept sweets from a stranger. Don't put your finger in the electric socket. Don't touch that pan, it's hot. All those things that we were told that we had to learn Well, as a Christian, if we're not mature in our faith, we'll be susceptible to those same vulnerabilities. Of course, there won't be a hot pan, but we'll be more susceptible to the enemy coming and trying to pull us away. In Paul's time, new Christians were vulnerable in the same way as they are now. But that's where the call is to be gospel-centered, to come back to the Bible, to come back to the instruction manual. I once heard the Bible described as the basic information before leaving earth. It's our instruction manuals to how to live as a disciple of Jesus. Because the world is full of people out there who are looking to exploit us. What's the latest thing? A text message it received on your phone. Click this link and pay one pound nine to receive your parcel. And then you find your bank account emptied. Hopefully nobody's fallen victim to it. Of course, the internet, it's made so many different ways to make it easier to exploit people, to, to give money away when you don't need to, to exploit people in other ways. So as Christians, as mature Christians, we need to become more aware of the ways of the world and the evil one, so that we know how to avoid them, so that they don't trip us up. So that when those temptations come, when perhaps something looks too good to be true, we're able to say, actually, Lord, is that the right thing? And to be able to hear from the Lord when he says no. Leave it to one side, that's temptation. The more mature we get in our faith, the more we recognize these tricks of the enemy and the more we can name them for what they truly are and resist them. And that's where the family and the unity of church come in because we will all be at different stages of our Christian faith. And as a family, we look out for one another. So if one person falls away, we go and look for them and we seek them. If one person gets caught up in a scam, we go out and we look for them and say, well, what happened there? How can you avoid it happening again? And we support them. That's where the family and the unity comes together. Because we can look out for one another as a church. And that's why in verse 15, Paul says, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up with him who is the head, that is Christ. Because when we're faced with ways of the world, As mature believers, we notice when things aren't true. We notice when things aren't there to help us. Because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we grow up to recognize Christ in us and all that he is doing through us. And that goes back to the point again about being a united church. Because each and every one of us, whether we're in the building, whether we're at home watching the stream, whether we're not able to be together today for whatever reason, bring something unique. They bring something unique to the church because we each have our own calling from God for which he has equipped us, to which he has equipped us to play our part in the role of the church. As the passage ends, it refers to the whole body of Christ and each member playing their part. That brings us back to verse 11, that's a little bit back to front, but it brings us back to verse 11 where Paul lists the different ministries. Of course, they're not exhaustive the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher. They're not highlighted to be as special people. It's actually quite the opposite. Certain people have special roles in the church to enable the whole church to grow, to enable every Christian to be equipped for service, to fulfill their calling. That's why it's so important for us to discover and discern what our gifts are so that we can be equipped in our own calling which is unique to each of us. In verse 12, Paul indicates that the point of God calling people into these roles is to build the whole body up to be effective for mission and to build the kingdom. It comes back again to that image of the heartbeat of fellowship pumping the blood into the worship and the mission of the church. Of course we know that list isn't exhaustive. We know that Paul has other lists elsewhere. But those five roles that are highlighted were crucial to the establishing of the first generation of the church. They are also important in the 21st century church too, and perhaps even more so at the moment as we emerge from lockdown and hopefully the pandemic. As society looks to reopen and rebuild, it's time for us to reimagine what church can be and how it looks. It's time for us to reimagine what we can achieve with what we already have in the church, with however many gifts are in this church right now. What can we achieve with that? It's time for us to reimagine. And it's time for us to reimagine what we can achieve as Jesus grows the church. We, of course, need to grow in maturity. We need to grow in unity. But to do so, we have to discover the gifts that God has given us to help this take place. Each and every one of us sat here today, sat at home on the stream, has a part to play in the church as we reopen and re-emerge. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you ready? Amen.